the whole BT message seemed to be we don't want to be perceived to be anti-open round just, because, about it just because we're not building a big open round network. And here's the interesting thing. Nobody's building a big open round network in Europe. No. Nobody at all. It's not like BT's radically different from anybody else. Well, the only difference is that you've got Orange and Deutsche Telekom and the other companies that are actually founder members of this ORAN alliance running around, banging the gong, saying yeah. Open RAN's wonderful and not doing anything. Right. And you've got BT not doing anything and saying, well, actually, here are the concerns about it. That's the big Fair difference. Enough. Hello and welcome to another Telecoms.com podcast. I was a little bit croaky last week because I'd been out the night before. We're both a little bit croaky because we were both out the night before, yeah. um, which was courtesy. <laughs> Give us your Barry White. I can't do the Barry White like that. Uh, I can only do it like that. Yeah, well, that doesn't really sound right. like anybody. That's not bad it sounds like, yeah. No, it looks like it's Barry White's younger brother. Or something. <laughs> Dave White. Um, and uh, and we were out. Well, we were at lunch with BT. Um, and the, our main host was Neil McRae, who's the chief architect, is mm-hmm. he? And he wanted to chat about Open RAN and BT's sort of involvement or not, yeah. um, which is going to be our main segment. But then we had a really nice lunch, a place called Barafina, which is a tapas place. Um, and then um, and they went, how about we pop out to the pub after? And you and I, being the... the sort of Moderate children that we are leches that we um, just uh, ended up sort of knocking on the head about 11 yeah. so that you know that con- considering the lunch was like one was it really that late yeah so that's a so- solid 10 hour sesh <laughs> wow can't argue with that and um, in fact we've got to give a shout out so um, our mates uh, Rich and Paul from CC Group they've got um, BT as a client these days so they're managing that Paul was in the lunch and Rich popped by after yeah a few beers with us so uh, hello lads I know Rich uh, listens to it on the podcast he's walked from Paddington Station to the office and he said he was pissing himself about the rotating chairman stuff last week (laughs) (laughs) which I've got to admit I mean it's slightly conceited but it did make me laugh when I was reviewing it on Monday it's good (laughs) it's just the concept of a rotating chairman a rotating anything except for like a record yeah or something Mm, him on something like or, or like something from a scene from from Ghost or something, you know those things where you make pots, <laughs> and that's a rotating thing. Anyway, that's that's how you make chairman is on one of those. <laughs> What's the name of that 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 sound effect? In the, oh yeah, like yeah. Doppler effect. Doppler effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the speeding chairman. Um, and uh, yeah, so you laughed about that. So it's good to see them, and um, and I guess we have our. So apart from BT and CC Group, we have a uh, Charlie. A, uh, a CC chap that we haven't met before mm-hmm. to thank for sort of keeping us in um, old fashions yeah. until we finally decided to call it a night. Mm. I think I knew it was time to call it a night when, when you started to look like you were about to nod off. <laughs> yeah, that's always a bad sign. <laughs> uh, and I was, you said you were feeling a bit rough. I, I was, I mean, I'm a bit knackered, obviously. Um, but I had to get out for a COVID test, which isn't what you want to do when no. you've got a hangover. What time do you have to have get out? someone up? prodding something up your nose. No, it's it's unpleasant not the best of times. Lucky you didn't yak all over them. Um, it was early enough. Mm. You know, it wasn't super early, but uh, not ideal. No, it's just like having to get up and then wanted to clap them to have that done was how boring. Not ideal. Yeah, yeah. I'm but apparently, I'm negative. So we're here. Yay! Yeah, that's good to know. Because I was yeah. wondering about you, You're looking mm. a bit pasty. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, cheers, Charlie. Nice to meet you. Thanks for all the old fashions and and, and thanks to BT for all that. Anyway, we're going to get into that more because that's our main segment's going to be on open rent. Yeah. Um, and sh- shout out to uh, three. Who yes. well, I was going to yeah, say yeah. that we got a bribe of the week to to log, mm. um, which I wasn't the recipient of, but you two last Saturday went to Stamford Bridge Chelsea Football Ground, courtesy of three. Why don't you tell us all yeah. about oh, that? Pierkin, Pierkin. No, it was just yeah. wonderful. And yeah. also, uh, just I, wonderful. I, I did a speed test in a stadium, and I got some blazing speeds as well. Oh right, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, because uh, you dissed three's coverage or, yeah, or whatever I mean, in the past, haven't you? Yeah. It's getting better, and then and the stadium was like insanely fast. And you've got um, a five G ness. What were you? Can you remember what you were getting? Uh, it was upwards of six hundred megs. Uh, six hundred megs. That's not bad. Sounds for pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's proper five G. But then they probably just got. It was a full stadium as well. So. Mm. Right. Yeah, it was busy. That's that's good actually. If you've got a, yeah. a full, I mean, obviously they've gone and concentrated. Development and you were in uh, like, like and you had the full executive box. Thing, uh, yeah? I mean, it's like flying first class. Like I, I, I cannot go back to, <laughs> to <laughs> normal just viewership. A, yeah, right. <laughs> it is good, isn't it? And there's something. It's it's a. I think it's a good um, comparison you make with flying first class because it's the contrast yeah. of when you're in a confined space or or when you're in a, a confined environment where most people are just slumming it. Mm-hmm. And then you can just be in this much more opulent. But I remember once there was a, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Father Ted. No. Uh, it's a very funny Irish sitcom. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one where they were on a plane and um, and the Father Ted goes to the bog, but he, he goes into the first class one by accident. And it's enormous. It's this mm. cavernous bog <laughs> with a bloke standing there with a towel over his arm <laughs> uh, and just going, do you have a first class ticket? So he goes, no, then you'll have to go over the way in this tiny little cubicle. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's what it's like. You just feel like royalty, don't it's you? It's like the, yeah. the Seinfeld bit where you know when they put the curtain when they have to serve food, they put the curtain between the classes. That's right, yeah. And then the Seinfeld was like, the, the stewards looks at you like, maybe if you worked a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they might as well just have on one side of the curtain scum and on the other side sort of royalty. It's just such a, a sort of symbolic moment that drawing of the curtain, isn't it? So anyway, that sounds like a good laugh. That's great. It was good. Um, so, uh, so Paddy from Three gets a shout out yeah. on that one. Yeah. Cheers, Paddy. I don't even know if I got. I'm sure and I got and an their agency actually, which is Headland. Headland, yeah. yeah. They were they were there. I'm the, pretty sure yeah. I got an invite, but I don't remember getting them. <laughs> I'm sure I did. Um, uh, but it's much easier for you guys because you live down in Southwest London anyway, don't you? Yeah, yeah I walked it there. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Right. Well, we will crack on then what we're going to chat about this week oh you were just saying Pierre by the way mm. I'm not going to give actual numbers but we, we're already we've already got more sort of traffic to the pod more listens or whatever we call it than we did for the whole of last year yeah in sort of second week of November mm. so hurrah for us and thank you for listening yeah um, so yes we're going to talk about Open Ran only was the, the the BT piss up I mean press event yesterday um, there was you went all the way over to Paris to hear about Orange yeah doing getting, open randomness as well getting involved uh, and I think maybe there's one or two other stories to do so we're probably yeah. going to bang on about open ran a it's fair it's been bit. a busy week for open ran certainly has um, and then yeah just the other stuff I think there's a little bit I know we spoke about fibre last week but there's been more development especially in the UK mm-hmm. um, which are worth talking about with, with, with all the players and maybe we can just have a little chat about whether they're ever going to get ROI on all this spend they're doing. Yeah. Um, and then I think we're going to finish off a quick look 
uh, um, a couple of uh, legal escapades Google's had in Europe, one in the UK, one in the EU. And for me, what's interesting about it isn't isn't so much the case itself, but what it says about firstly trying to go after really big companies legally at all, because yeah. they can throw almost limitless amounts of lawyer wedge at it. Um, and secondly, what it says about you know the current sort of controversy around big tech of like, their their influence and power over the whole market, the whole world. Um, so that's what we'll do. So we will we'll start. Yeah, we'll start with the open round. So basically, I'll frame it. Um, it was it was a really nice uh, dinner in a, a sort of private dining room. Invited just trade press and telecoms analysts, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and it's hosted by Neil McRae. Um And, yeah, I mean, I was. it was interesting to see how they teed it up because they weren't announcing any news. And yeah. it's basically framed as, you know, we just wanted to, we wanted to check in with the trade press in general and then just update you on our thinking on Open Run, which is fair enough. But it did strike me, and I was sat next to um, a, a chap I know who works on the comms side, of um, of BT, hi Alex, um, and I said to him, you know, once once Neil had done his opening spiel, I was like, to be honest, Alex, it sounds to me like BT's going, <laughs> you know, we we do care about open round, honest, and and there's there's a sort of almost apologetic, you know, acknowledgement that while other people like Vodafone are making a lot of noise about it and Orange, mm-hmm. BT's been a bit quiet. Yeah. So it was almost felt like they felt they, they needed to compensate for that. And also maybe as I texted uh, you and Ray while we were there, a bit of FOMO, a bit of fear of missing out um, yeah. in general. So, I mean, I th- what? I think on the PR side, definitely. Yeah, you know, is that the they, impression you got? Yeah, well? I think the message, I mean, there were several peak members of the comms team there, weren't there, there? And we were sort of chatting with them. And I think it was, they're obviously keen to have BT engage with us and other, yeah, other, other, other trade so journalists. Um, I'm not sure I could survive too many. No. engagements that devolve into a 10-hour session which but. is what which is what you want obviously and that's great yeah, yeah. and and yeah i think they they themselves are almost saying that they felt they'd been maybe a little bit quiet on some of these issues some of these topics of which open round is one um you know and they wanted to sort of put their views across and i think that was all good um i mean yeah it's funny looking at it because you know as you say there's there's a lot of noise coming out from certain players at the moment in the industry um, and you know, you get the sense there's a lot of activity going on, and that BT maybe isn't doing that much. Um, and I think they were kind of keen to dispel that 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 kind of myth. Um, Do you think they did so successfully? Well, I, they're they're less of a cheerleader for it. This is the thing than other operators, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. You know, I mean, there's yeah. a real contrast I thought between the event that I went to with Orange. And this BT one, the event with Orange was very much a sort of pro, set up to be a sort of pro open round thing, you know. Right. We're, we're announcing, they, I mean, basically what that was, was the opening of a, of a lab at um, Orange Gardens. It's a big facility that Orange has in, I don't know if it's the headquarters, I don't think it is the headquarters. It's a, but it's, a campus, isn't it's it? It's a campus that yeah. they have, like, in the south of Paris, and I think it's the south. You sort of lose track when you're in a taxi, don't you? You don't really know where you're going unless you know the no. city, but... Um, but it's a campus they have there. Is it near the Eiffel Tower? No, no, I don't know where no. it is. So. We did stay in the centre, <laughs> but we we went out of the centre to the to the Orange Gardens place, and they've opened this or- open ran integration centre. It's called, which is 
basically a place where they can get vendors in and test that their equipment works with other vendors. That's that's the idea of it. Yeah, same and, as when uh, Vodafone opened its thing in April. Yeah, they did a similar thing, didn't yeah. they? And apparently there was another one this week, I think was in, it, in, in Germany, yeah. Deutsche Telekom, but they didn't make a big they deal of that. It, no, and they, and I only knew about it because I saw Ray cover it well, at, to, as, at the same time as the Orange I have to say their outreach to journalists is appealing, <laughs> Deutsche <laughs> Telekom. It? It's absolutely appalling. I mean, I... I you know, I mean, maybe they just don't want to have anything to do with the trade press and they don't feel that the trade press is that important for them. I don't know, but they don't, they're very, very hard to um, to get anything out of. You know, I mean, if you send yeah. emails off to the, the comms team there, you do get responses, but it's it's not like you ever get offered interviews or press days or they ever come over to London and do anything. It's true. And, I know they don't have... I wonder have. what they're like with the German press, presumably more engaged. I mean, I think one of the reasons for Orange being quite good is that they did used to have a kind of UK presence, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so T-Mobile did, did as well, but but also they've got a comms team that's based in, in the UK, Orange. Yes. And they seem more engaged, obviously, with UK writers. Nicole and Vanessa. Yeah, and and Deutsche Telekom doesn't have that, and maybe they just for them they feel that Germany and Central Europe media is more it's, important. It is a bit but baffling. I mean, I... This is a bit of a tangent. But, it, is, um, but it is a bit baffling how they wouldn't just sit down and whoever their, you know, overall head of comms is, yeah. doesn't sit down and go, right, we've got Germany covered, we're pretty strong in all over the EU, pretty strong Scandinavia, yeah. all that. Who's got UK? Oh, well, fuck, no I, one. The has. thing is, it's the, it's the international language of business, whether we like it or not. And, and therefore, and this is, I think, one of the reasons why Orange feels it has to engage, is that the, a lot of the top publications that are catering to international audience are actually based in yeah, like the ours. UK or America. So, yeah. Um, so I, it just seems strange to me that they don't. And I know when, when I do write about Deutsche Telekom and things like Open RAN or, or, or Huawei, they, they're, they're pretty high up on Google when I check, you know, isn't the news stories thing. So it's not like. And we're do you know being another ignored, reason I regret, but, I regret it? Do you, know what, do you know what German for radio is? No. Funk. Well, exactly. That's so another reason why. There's we some need great to headline be. potential there. Is, there. Yeah. But anyway, get the funk out. Going back to the something. open ran yeah. stuff, um, the Orange event was very much set up to be a sort of pro open ran. You know, a lot of the questions that came from people like me and and, and other other uh, journalists who were there and um, analysts, and also the kind of partners who were invited along. You know, people like. Um, People who are actually testing stuff in the labs, but they also had people like Capgemini there, Systems Integrator, um, and I think Dell. There was someone from Dell, I think, as well in the audience. And there was a Q and A session with the CTO, a guy called Mikhail Trabia, um, and it was. You know, they're very sort of. They're very keen to present Open RAN as a positive thing and to try and take you know take away that argument that, that, that there's lots of concerns about it you know mm. and that it's not quite ready and you know i mean you're, they, you're they, particularly unhelpful on that front aren't yeah you? i mean it's not like they're saying it's not like they did not i mean their their big thing is that they they think it will sort of reach parity with the traditional ran mm. i meaning really that you can use it in cities i think in urban areas and busy places which is where the concern is at the moment they think that will happen in sort of mid 2020s and it's at that stage where they've got this big i mean the biggest commitment that orange has made to open RAN is that from the mid 2020s onwards, any RAN any RAN products they buy will have to be open RAN compatible, which right. is quite a, which is quite a big thing to say, I suppose. Yeah, and I it suppose gives it the industry how you define compatible. Well, they mean compatible with open aligned standards specifications, right? And and like Ericsson gear wouldn't be. 
Well, it might. I mean, by the mid twenty twenties, that's that's the, the that's what they're saying that they're not going to buy anything that isn't open right. rank compatible. I mean, the mid twenty twenties is quite a way off. Yeah, it makes. I, I mean, I I suppose it's this is core to the the whole concept of it. I don't know how difficult it is to turn something that isn't O rank compatible and make it compatible. Well, is I, it I, just a software tweak, or what? Anyway, I mean, you, you, you have, have to, answer, to have a product. Sort of, that, I mean, I, I I wouldn't imagine it's that. I don't think that the the, the reason that companies are, are not O-Rank compatible at the moment is necessarily because it's a difficult thing to do. Mm. I mean, I think in the case of someone like Huawei, um, their argument is, and I think this probably goes to some extent for Ericsson as well, which ha- doesn't have an open RAN set of products at the moment. They just don't want to, they don't want to develop something and push it out if they don't feel that it's, up to up to spec, if you know what I mean. Yeah. If it, you know, if, they, if they've got concerns about, no one's going to put a product into the market where there's a suggestion that it's not that good, are they? On a vendor side, where where you're trying not. to where you're trying to build a reputation for quality and performance, which is all what Ericsson's all about at the moment. Six nines or whatever. You know, so if yeah. if the operators are, you know, if that's right that it can't meet requirements in these urban markets, and I don't see why the operators would. You know the operators that are behind it would necessarily say that if it wasn't, if there wasn't truth to it, mm-hmm. then I guess that would explain really why the big vendors are not are not sort of pushing. Well, Nokia does claim to have an open RAN product yeah, set, they, but it's not really. I don't think it's. I'm not sure if it's available yet. They've certainly announced that it will be. They've been the more um, pro open RAN of the two. Of the three remaining. big ones, yeah. Yeah. If, if, we, um, if we discount Huawei because in lots of markets we're not allowed to use it anymore. Yeah, but but I think the. Um, the orange thing was very, it was definitely much more pro open oh, round thing. Did, did, and were you convinced by it? I mean, I, I wrote an article where I I don't think that they overcame the the, the concerns about open round through that lab. And what opening. is the, what are the, let's take it from the top. What well, are the so they, so, they, so this okay, so this would be the contrast with BT. Where Neil McRae seemed to be very happy to sit down and say, "Here's why we're not doing open round on a big scale at the moment." I mean, the whole BT message seemed to be, "We don't want to be perceived to be anti open round just because just because we're not building a big open round network." And here's the interesting thing: nobody's building a big open round network in Europe. No. Nobody at all. It's not like BT's radically different from anybody else. All, the only difference is that you've got Orange and Deutsche Telekom and the other companies that are actually founder members of this O-RAN alliance running around, banging the gong, saying yeah. Open RAN's wonderful and not doing anything. Right. And you've got BT not doing anything and saying, well, actually, here are the concerns about it. That's the big Fair difference. Enough. And I mean, the only company that's gone anywhere towards making a firm commitment in Europe, as that I can see, that is not a Greenfield player is Vodafone, who's got, which has got this 2,500 site deployment in the UK. Right. And I think that's quite risky, personally. You know, I, I think they're, they're it, you know, it could work out brilliantly for them. Who knows, but is it like It's West rural areas, isn't it? It's Wales and parts of the West Country. Yeah. And, and it's, it, I think it's, it's a risky move by them, I think. I, but reckon, it's, ja- I reckon Jamie talked them into giving Wales a go. <laughs> He went, he went, go on. You but the, co- the concerns about it would be, and this is what the things that Neil outlined, I mean, first of all, there's this big argument that Open RAN is cheaper, you know, which Rakuten is constantly going on about, the Japanese operator that's building a greenfield Open RAN yeah. network. Um, and this is an argument that actually was, when Open RAN first came along in 2018, you know, when the Open Alliance was formed, that was actually the big thing about it. All this supply diversity stuff's more recent, and it's really a result, I think, of the campaign against Huawei. Because then their industry is obviously then worried that it's only got two big vendors to use, and it wants to. And then all of a sudden they're thinking, well, you know, that maybe Oran's a way of getting other people into the mix. 
Yeah. But it start, didn't start out that way. It started out very much as this is a more efficient way to build a network and it'll save you on CapEx and OpEx. And Save you on, on CapEx and OpEx just purely by virtue of, of its efficiency rather than the fact that it's injecting well, it's, it's competition not, it's, into it's, the... It's, it's an argument that... I mean, I wrote something um, saying it won't a few months ago uh, and I, I struggle to remember all the details of that piece because it was quite long. But there's, there's all sorts of reasons why it won't make a lot of difference. I mean, for a, for a start, how much gets spent on uh, the RAN is actually quite a small percentage of, opera- of an operator budget. Right. I mean, yes, the RAN is a huge... There's a huge amount spent on it compared, say, with fixed broadband equipment. It's a big CapEx spend. It's presumably. a big CapEx spend, but it's not big compared to what operators have to spend on other things. I see. C- concrete, you know, site build-out, all yeah. that stuff. Civil engineering work. That's where all the that's the that's the real cost when they're doing th- this sort of thing. The the actual electronic stuff that they're see. buying is you. not, you know, and and the software elements is actually. I, th- I talked to there's a guy called Stefan Pongratz. He's a really good analyst at Deloro about this. And so here's here's I think I don't think I'm getting this wrong, but the RAN market's about thirty to thirty five billion every year. But if you look at the overall wireless budget. Which includes more than just the RAN. Yeah, it's. I think it's more than a hundred billion, right? Okay, so still about a third of it. It's a third of it, yeah. But then you've got other things that operators yeah, yeah. spend money on. Yeah. Then you've got all the operating costs as well. Where now this is the other thing: operating costs. It's not clear at all that open RAN will save you money on operating costs. In, in fact, it might even make it worse. And this is one of the things Neil McRae was saying. You know, if you have a big integration job to do. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're introduced if you're using Open RAN because you want to actually have a multi-vendor network, and this is one of the stories about it, you get lots of different companies working together and mixing and matching components. Someone's got to make sure all of that works. You know, someone's got to stitch all of that together, which either means you're paying a systems integrator to do it, in which case you're basically reliant on a systems integrator in the same way that you'd be reliant on Ericsson vendor, today, yeah, yeah. or you do it yourself. But that's a huge job. You've got to... I mean, this is what Vodafone's trying to do at the moment. This is why they've competence. gone out with this let's hire software engineers partly to do with that. They don't want to spend money on systems integrators externally. They want to reduce what they're spending. But at the same time, overhauling your own organisation, doing it yourself, is quite a task, you know? Can I just so, make just a quick uh, side note? Just you bringing up um, that Vodafone thing. Yeah. That was over a really nice dinner. It was. I've got to say something about OpenRAN. It seems to yield pretty nice dinners. Yeah. Um, that wasn't specifically on open round though. The no, no, but you know, but, I'm kind of forcing the analogy yeah, a little bit. It was to, there wasn't there <laughs> was an open round element to it. Because, there was an open round element because, because of the system. I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, it could be correlation, causation, all that. I'm just saying, where there's open round, there's good food and booze. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So, so, so bring that's, it on. That's one of the cost things that yeah. I think. And then on the, I mean, Neil McRae came out with a really good quote. Basically, he said, you know, and, and I kind of started this story I wrote today with with um, reference to this. But he, you know, he's been in software for ages. Um, you know, he, he's clearly a coder and has been since he was like a kid. And um, and so he, he said, you know, I know the effort it takes to write code. Mm. I and he also he's been in the telecom industry for a long time. I know, um, you know, how much it costs to buy chips from Intel or the other companies that are doing layer one, you know, processors. Um, and I'm telling you that, I can't remember how exactly, but he described it as a myth, didn't he? This whole thing that open round will save us yeah. money is a myth. Oh, yeah, he was. He didn't, he didn't um, hold back on... He struggled to find a word, and I think Ray, Ray sort of supplied Ray it for him. Ray anyway, from yeah, Telecom TV supplied yeah. it for him. But, but yeah, one of the, one, he said one of the great myths about open round is that it will save us money. That's it, and you put myths yeah. in your headline, I'm just um, looking it up. So... 
you know, which I've, I've as I said, I'd sort of written this angle because other people have been on about that for a while. But I just, I don't think the industry's really questioned this enough, that this sort of cost side of, of open RAN. Now, maybe it'll, maybe it'll save money because if you have a more competitive, I mean, you were asking him about this, Scott. Yeah. If you have a more competitive market and you have other suppliers in the mix, then it could drive down prices, you know, well, and spend less. That is definitely part of the narrative. And, um, and that's just basic economics, isn't it? That's basic economics. But the trouble I have with that argument is it's not, I mean, and this, and he said this himself, you know, they don't want to have a network where there are lots and lots of suppliers. They want basically not to increase it. I mean, he said that we don't really want to dramatically increase the number of suppliers in the network, i.e. we still stick with two or three big vendors. Yeah, because I think other people have said that that's not necessarily a positive having lots more suppliers because no. it adds complexity so, and, and so if you're not introducing new vendors maybe they swap one in future maybe there's an opportunity for a player to come in um, but I don't know how that would because unless you have somebody who's into, who's then the integrator unless you have someone like uh, uh, Nokia let's say doing open RAN and, and maybe Nokia then uses more supplies than it would have done in the past itself mm. And it, and it does the job of, of stitching all this stuff together, which it kind of does to some extent these days anyway. You know, it buys but stuff then, from Marvel, it buys exactly, stuff from so Broadcom. then what you're basically doing is... It doesn't is, really seem different. you've got a similar relationship to what you've already yeah. got with Nokia, just with some different logos on the fucking components. Totally, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and the, you know, and if it... I mean, even if it did lead to a sort of, you know, let's say other operators do manage to pull off this multi-vendor trick where they've got 10 or 15 companies doing different things where they might only have used Ericsson in the past... You know, it. You know, he was saying if you do that, if, this is Neil McRae's view. You actually end up spending more. You know, he he said he worked on projects in the past where the whole job was just to mm. reduce the number of suppliers they've got, get yeah. the number down. Because if you're spending all this money on integration and you're paying all these different companies, you often find you, you just you're just spending more money. Yeah. You know, if you spend if you're spending a really small amount, or if you are reducing what you pay, I don't see how some of these companies would be able to sort of survive, really, or operate on a... Well, you know, there's going to be, end up being consolidation, as, as has happened in the past. Yeah, and in another way, it's a bit of a myth, is, you know, we're always making the analogy um, with, um, like, PCs versus Macs, or, you know, Apple ecosystem versus the broader... Um, you know, and, and in the non-Apple ecosystem, you can, in principle, pick and choose your components. Yeah. But actually, at the end of the day, you're not going to Dell... And you buy a computer, and they've they've got whatever relationships they've got with the chip vendors and the motherboard and the graphics. Totally, Dell Dell basically plays the integration role yeah. there, so it's not really that different, is it? It's no, just that they it's get just, it's just they don't Dell do some of stuff Apple. themselves. But, exactly. but it's not like we've gone to Dell and gone, oh, no, I want to have a, a gigabyte motherboard and all that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, you I just know. Get a, you just get a Dell that costs five hundred quid or a grand or whatever, and that's that. Yeah. So that that was that was another one of his points, um, and he also said, you know, I was asking him a bit about it because I think we both brought up the fact that you have bottlenecks in different bits of the network. So, you know, I specifically said to him, it, it seems like Intel is the only real option at the moment. Mm. I mean, there are these other there, there are these other companies like that. Marvel and Nvidia that are coming out with silicon for hardware accelerators, which basically allows you to kind of bypass the Intel CPU to some extent. Um, but they're not ready yet. So at the moment, it's all pretty much Intel. Yeah. You know, so you're kind of, if you're doing it now, you're sort of swapping uh, this this oligopoly that you've got with Ericsson, Nokia and Huawei, arguably, for an Intel monopoly, you yeah. know. And, he's, and, he, and then he sort of went on and said, well, 
you know, this, this whole diversification thing is much, much bigger than than um, Open RAN. You know, Open RAN's not going to solve some of the problems that you've got in the industry. And he, and he made reference to chips, actually. He said it's not an ideal situation mm. that we've only got two companies in the world that can make silicon X86. wafers. Um, well, I think he was talking about Taiwan's TSMC. Oh, he's talking about yeah. fabs rather yeah. than... Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, the x86 thing, he was actually more upbeat, I think, about that. He was talking about, you know, having other options coming into the market like Marvell and NVIDIA and stuff. So he was a bit more positive about that. But his his issue was not really an open round one. He was saying, you know, there's literally two... Com- this is the thing about open round. I mean, I we've both been looking into this ever since this whole diversification issue came up. And you just you look at all these other areas where there are these constraints and there's not a lot of options and a lot of choices. And I never realised years ago that TSMC was so powerful as yeah. it is in that market. You know, it 85% seems to have become more of- so, if I'm honest. And the real reason is, is because it's better even than Intel at, um, at going up um, technology nodes, yeah. manufacturing nodes. And it's the only one. Yeah. You know, when it starts when it starts manufacturing on three nanometers or whatever, no one else no is one doing else it. No one else is able to do it, yeah. I mean, people will catch up, but yeah. you know, if it's ahead by a year or so, that's massive, isn't it? Yeah, and and so Neil was saying that's that's an area that needs looking at. You know, we need to talk to government about things like that. And there's there's other there's other bottlenecks Especially in the when system. Especially when you consider where TSMC is based as well. Yeah, and then the there's the, and then there's the thing that we're always on about that the cloud as well, the public cloud. You know, I mean, three, three players, big guys yeah. really. I mean, they've got sort of two thirds of the market, but the rest of it's quite fragmented, I think. Yeah. And one of the other ones would be Alibaba, which is probably not going to be an option if you're not if you're not happy about using Huawei. I don't yeah. see why you'd be happy about using Alibaba. Can't for, see the, for the government US Department stuff. of Defence no. using Alibaba Cloud. Exactly. So, so there's all these issues, and uh, you know. It was nice to hear him set those out because they're always things that I think that we talk about and that occur to us as possible problems for people doing open RAN, but they. At the same time, there are clearly attractions that they see. There are use cases that they see. And this is the interesting thing. They're not, just because they're not making the same sort of noise about it that Vodafone is, or even that Orange is, um, doesn't mean they're not interested. Yeah, yeah. They don't have a religious opposition was, to open round. That, that was one of the messages, really. That was, yeah, that was, that was McCray's um, point. Like I said, I thought it sounded very slightly defensive, in so much as he was almost a bit appalled that he had to make that point. Yeah. And he was pointing out that they'd been sort of dicking about, these aren't his precise words, with that sort of thing for quite a long time. They've got their labs yeah. in Suffolk and all but that I sort of thing. I find it a bit odd that they that they felt defensive. I mean, I can only imagine that the comms That's just guys, my interpretation. I, 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 I mean, this is, a, this is a problem with Open RAN being hyped so much. Yeah. There's so much written about it. Well, he it. said that right at the start. He went, this, is, this has been people banging on about it even more than they did NFC NFV, back in the day. Yeah. NFV, sorry. Yeah. And then look where that went, really. I mean, no one talks about it now. No one talks about it. I mean, it's not that virtualization is not being used, yeah, but it's, it's not, not made the radical difference to operators no. that they thought it would, has it? Um, you know, they're now talking all about cloudification, and it's, that's the new story. Mm. Um, but I just think that this, I, it's funny that they feel that this the FOMO, the thing that you, you mentioned, you know, fear of missing out, it's kind of funny that they feel that way in a way because. Actually, a lot of the stuff that gets written about Open RAN by people like us isn't that positive. It, it's not. It's not like we're yeah. saying Open RAN's a wonderful thing. It's often qu- questioning the need for it. So I don't. I don't look at BT and think, oh, because BT's not doing what Vodafone's doing, it's going to fall behind. I actually think the risks being taken by Vodafone. I mean, I applaud them from an innovation perspective. It's very daring, and maybe it's going to work out brilliantly for them. Yeah. Maybe in the future they will get some kind of edge from it. I don't know. You've, you've got to you've got to be open to the possibilities. But I just sort of wonder what if you're a Vodafone shareholder, 
and you see this project going on. 2,500 sites and a network that's probably 19,000 sites. It's quite a big chunk, chunk of the network. Yeah, yeah. All right, it's not in cities. It's in rural areas. There's less that can go wrong. But, but it's certainly but more it's, than it's just a bit a of a risk. You know, what if what if things don't work out? I mean, they've even outlined some of the risks to us when we were at a press conference with them recently, this issue of 3G. You know, that they, they can't phase out 3G as quickly as they thought they could. There's still a lot of people using it. And, it. and the vendor they're Old using, <laughs> Samsung, doesn't come with 3G support. Yeah. So either you've got to delay your rollout till till the late stages of uh, as late as they can, arguably. And, and they're doing it, by the way, to, to replace Huawei. They need to have Huawei out of the network by 2028. So they can't leave it. They can't leave it beyond then, really. Um, or they've got to sort of operate two networks in, you know, if they want to try and move more quickly, they've got to operate two networks in parallel, which is massive cost. Talking about Huawei, McRae was, I thought, quite... Yeah, he didn't say anything out of turn, but the, the way he phrased it was, was very much like, it, it doesn't sound like he's too happy with the government imposing this stuff on them. And, no, I mean, he and was... And he was sort of going, I haven't got a fucking problem with Huawei. He didn't say that, but... That was well, he, I think he's quite impressed with them technologically, isn't he? I mean, yeah. he, he sounds like the sort of person who's made, I don't know. I mean, he wasn't presenting it as a political thing. He just, just no. And I've heard him speak at conferences before where he's said they're clearly ahead on 5G back yeah. in the days when they hadn't been banned. And But I think that's been an argument for the industry for a long time, hasn't it? I mean, it's not, not a secret that they, they you know, were the market leaders in the days of 4G and that they sort of raced ahead of, of their Western rivals and... I think that was. I've, sort got, of I've got to say, I, I I will always say this. I commend any company that does something like the BT lunch yesterday, where they put, you know, not that Neil McRae doesn't know his stuff and not that he isn't press trained and all that sort of thing, but they put him in up against some pretty nosy and impertinent journalists who know a thing or two. Yeah, I mean, we're not engineers, but we yeah. have been covering this for a long time. You know, you got. Keith from Mobile Network asking really fucking detailed questions. Yeah. You've got Ray being Ray yeah. and, and with, with his sort of journalistic instinct. You were asking a lot of questions. I really sort of persisted on this Intel as a component bottleneck. Yeah. Um, and I think um, I think fair play to them. Anytime they do that, that's proper press engagement. You know, we bitch and moan, like for example, just now about DT not bothering. Yeah. Now, Vodafone's done it. They got asked some awkward questions at that dinner. Yeah. Uh, BT did it, and I think uh, they always should be commended for that. And it, it does it puts a sort of interesting responsibility in us journalists because I, mean, I think there was one bit I'm not going to mention it, but there was one bit he said at the beginning that that you could tell some of the PR people were wincing a little bit. Yeah. Was, and and you were saying that if like the Mail or or someone you know if, if a national, especially a tabloid, had been there, they would have run with it. But, yeah, they would have headline chased with yeah, it. Yeah, and I think I feel. I feel inclined to, to some degree, reward companies that take these risks by not necessarily pursuing the most sensationalist angle in my coverage of it. It doesn't mean that you give them an easy ride. Yeah. And it doesn't mean, like, you know, you, your, your headline was BT takes aim at open round myths, and, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't had time to read it, but you've written a nice long thing, and I'm sure a fair bit of it. Um, There's a lovely picture of BT's office there as well. I saw that, the EE and BT window. <laughs> Um, it's not. It's not really a lovely picture. It's pretty boring, actually. But <laughs> I, could, I couldn't find anything else at short notice. But but you know, but but you've basically gone. You know, long and short of it is you've gone that BT doesn't necessarily reckon it's all that. Yeah, I mean, I, I should point out because we haven't really talked about where BT does see a role for Open RAN. Yes, and, so- and and you know they had a they had another guy there called Paul Crane who's sort of heading up a lot of the research that they do at their at Astral Park, is it? Yeah, facility in Suffolk. In yeah. Suffolk. And, 
you know, they, there are areas where they see this. So this is a the thing. They were, I think they were keen to sort of point out that they are involved with Open Round. They're engaged with it. They, they work with TIP, you know, the Facebook um, Telecom yeah. Infra project. They're very, they're very involved with that. Um, and they, they're, they're doing a number of trials. So the areas where he saw it being useful were small cells, um, which are sort of, I mean, it's new build-out, really, isn't it, small cells? It's and, green And the field. reason small cells, I mean, small cells have been around for ages, but the reason they're a big thing, again, is... 5G coverage yeah, in mid-band and, exactly. and millimetre wave and that totally. sort of thing. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I guess if it's Greenfield, you know, because I, mean, I, I did put, put it to him, you know, because he said we couldn't possibly do the network we have today with Open RAN for all these reasons, um, you know, to do with high performance needs. It's just not there. You know, we need to be super reliable for emergency services. We've got all these spectrum yeah. bands. Open RAN just wouldn't They've be able the to They've got the UK emergency services yeah. contract. And, um, you know, and then I was, I sort of, I think I asked him, well, are you sceptical of the claims made about it by people like Rakuten, you know, which is the Japanese operator that's that's building out, you know, fourth fourth network there. And he went, well, no, because they're Greenfield. It's much easier if, if you're a Greenfield operator and you don't have millions of customers already and you don't have existing technologies and all this stuff. You can you can do it more easily. And I suppose small cells are a kind of Greenfield build, aren't mm. they? You know, if they also, that, if it fails, all you've got is not the extra coverage that you were trying to get. Yeah. And, and, and I think there are instances there where they might see attractions in this sort of multi-vent, you know, using one, one specialist for one thing where they can bring some kind of unique capability because they focused on that in a way that a big kit vendor might be, might have a more sort of general set of products. Yeah, although the big kit vendors would, yeah. would point you to the part of their website that They probably would, cells. but I, I think that yeah. the, the, the attractions of using a specialist vendor in those sort of small cell environments with them being greenfield is obviously why they, mm. they sort of see it. And the other one is neutral host, which is basically... I don't know a huge amount about this, but I think the idea is that you have one sort of infrastructure that would serve like a campus or you know an enterprise campus. Yeah. But it could be used by different service providers. And and I right. think that sharing, that sort of that sort of RAN sharing is easier, a lot of people say, with open RAN. It makes okay. it easier to sort of split things up for split elements up for different operators and to, to manage it basically. So they're doing trial I think they're doing trials on small cells with Mavenir, they mentioned. Um and then the other area is this thing called the RIC, which was talked about quite a lot in France as well by Orange, which stands for RAN Intelligent Controller. And it's basically like a software element um, that you that you introduce that allows you to, and you'd have applications sitting on top of that. So you almost have like an app store, basically, for the network. They call them okay. X-apps that, was, that developers that was the, could write. That was the sort of NF. V vision back in the day, wasn't it? That was it? By virtualizing those network functions, you can create a kind of instantaneous like store right. for the functions and just go, oh, Maybe I'll, have it some, was. I'll have some of that. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, you'd have like apps for network management, basically. You could have different, so it would allow you to do whizzy things like, and he gave an example, Neil, where you, you might have a neighborhood where you wanted to sort of power off radio stations at three in the morning when no one's using them. And then they sort of come back online mm as people start to engage with the network. And you can do it in real time. This is the thing. It's all, it's AI, heavily AI based. I yeah, think. and the and machine learning. So we were chatting about yeah. this just before we started recording and, and, and we concluded it's like the next evolution of, of um, a thing called SON that we used to write about a lot more self optimizing networks. networks. Or is it organizing? Or is it Se both? It's self-organizing. But, but this, so this is the interesting thing is the question is why can't you do the, the, rat, the RIC in, you know, like a, 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 a RAN today, like a, a, mm. a non-open RAN or a closed RAN network. Yeah. And um, apparently you don't have the real-time thing. It just doesn't exist. I asked a, a guy always, called... There's always a delay. Well, I asked a guy called Arnold Van Paris, who's like head of radio for Orange. 
um, this. And he went, the, the specification wasn't written by the 3GPP. So CSON, they have, but it's not it's not real t- it's not real time. It's like an update every half an hour or something. Right. So a lot of that's that dynamic stuff, you know, if you wanted to just have something change. Yeah, and if you're gonna switch something off dynamically, you need to be able to switch it on dynamically. Exactly. Not half an hour's time. Yeah. So so that is an area where I'm a bit more because I'm probably come across as an open round skeptic a lot of the time, but I can see something like that being that sounds like real innovation, you know, if they've actually written a, a spec that didn't exist before, then that sounds you know, so my question is whether the use case that that particular thing, the RIC, justifies open RAN yeah, in itself. By itself. Yeah, does, does the economics of open RAN does that justify them basically? And and I think I asked Paul Crane that, and he sort of went, "Well, it's it's not not clear no. at the moment." And, um, and and McRae explicitly said the cost saving argument for open RAN. I mean, he didn't say it, but he basically said it's bollocks. It, yeah, he that didn't was use the those myth. words. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, I bet you, I bet you felt like it though. It would have sounded better with a Scottish accent as well. He, well, he was hunting for a word that he, he <laughs> said he said he's, he's going to say something more rude than. Uh, That's true. So when Ray was saying first. myths, I should have said bollocks and, and said go with that. <laughs> um, but it, it basically isn't there. Open ran as a uh, a way of getting stuff more cheaply than you do from a big kit vendor. He basically said, nah, no. That's just not a thing. Yeah. Because so because that. because of the hassle of writing software, the the chip costs he referred to specifically called those out. You know, as we were saying, he knows what he spends. He knows it. It it, it just doesn't. This whole this whole argument that the capex costs would be less never really made sense to me. And, no. I, and it clearly doesn't make sense to him either. It's quite nice to hear it from an operator actually, sort of validate that argument. Yes. That this that why should it be cheaper? You know, there, there seems to be this assumption that because it's general purpose standardized yeah. boxes. It, it, it's going to be it's going to be less expensive than the customized stuff that you get from Ericsson and Nokia. But why? Those products are made at scale for a massive global market. Why? Yeah, yeah. What, well, you look, know, I, and also, you're having to customize a lot of the silicon. It turns out anyway. It seems. You know, again, for, it's tempting to apply the Dell versus Apple Mac argument, and you probably do on on a typical Windows laptop. You probably do get a bit more bang for your buck than you do with a Mac. Yeah. I mean, we know Apple charges a premium anyway. Part of it is industrial design, part of it's brand, part of it is the unique software that Apple has and all that sort of thing. Uh, and people like Pierre will, will, pay, will pay the premium. But, I, but, here's, like the, but here's the problem. The trade-off is... They have the best processors now. The, well, yeah, that's true. The, the, the trade-off is that if you're just using these common off-the-shelf servers with x86 chips, this is where the performance issue comes in. They're not good enough. You know, they're not they're, they're too power hungry and they're not yeah. as good as customized silicon that you get from Ericsson or Nokia. So what's the answer to that? You know, for massive MIMO and, and 5G and all the, and, and deploying open RAN in, you know, city centers and this this kind of thing. The answer is to look to other silicon developers like Marvel, like NVIDIA. Um, to you know, to produce chips for open RAN. Yeah, and he mentioned. But then it becomes it's on, not sorry. common off-the-shelf servers. Then is it? It's becoming a more customised yeah, thing by and, definition. And he mentioned. So, I mean, I, I presume this was a sort of deliberate um, sort of mischaracterisation. But he mentioned ARM as like a chip vendor, which of course it isn't. It's a chip designer, but yeah. none, of, none of them make chips apart from Intel. Um, but I think. I think what I assume he meant, given that he's a very techy guy and he knows what he's talking about, was the ARM ecosystem. Yeah. Um, and one thing that was interesting that he never mentioned once until I prompted it, he didn't mention Qualcomm. Because yeah. if you want 
I mean, the biggest single arm specialist chip vendor is Qualcomm. Yeah, but that would have been one of the ones he was thinking of. He said the five. Yeah, but he never said it. The five guys. He said Nvidia. He said Marvell. He said other stuff. He never explicitly said Qualcomm. No, he didn't. But he did say the five guys that are developing silicon. Okay, all right. And and that Qualcomm would be one of them. I mean, Qualcomm's not got a a as big a role in base station silicon as but it wants as Marvell. But it's obviously struggling to. Because they've certainly, I've written stories about them earlier on the year. Yeah. They want to get involved, but they're obviously not doing a great job of it. Well, they're, they're not they're, even coming up in the conversation. They, they are, because they're one, of the, they're one of the companies that have got forthcoming, like, DU products coming out yeah. next year. They've announced a realm. They're, they're exactly the same as, like, Marvel's done, basically, and NVIDIA's done. So they are one of the, and, and Orange said this as well, same thing, the five guys, the five. I, mean, I, I think those five would be Intel, Marvel, um, NVIDIA. Qualcomm, I'm not sure who the other one would be. I, it might be well, it might be ARM. They might just be thinking of ARM as as the other sort of member of the group, even though it's a slightly different one. See, because ARM would ARM would be, provide I'm be a pedant on that one. ARM, um, you know, it's ARM um, licenses. It's designed to people like Qualcomm and Nvidia. Yeah, but they don't make chips either. They only design them. They only design stuff as well. They're um, all, no, they're wait, all designers. There's there's two things we've got to stipulate here. Yes, only Intel owns fabs. But when yeah. we talk about making chips, we're talking about designing. The, f- the full thing like Apple does now with yeah. its own chips you know, they're a chip maker in it. So the, fact that, the fact that they have to outsource the fabbing to TSMC is a detail yeah. a chip maker as far as I'm concerned the, the semantics I, of this I, I never is someone chi- who designs the whole package I never use the word chip maker to refer to anybody who's, who isn't Intel TSMC oh, Samsung well, then you and I are going to have to agree because, to because they, they don't make chips making chips is no, the I know you're technically right. It, I know but, you're technically right but, but anyway I mean I, the five companies anyway I, I, can, I can only imagine it might be those Maybe Broadcom's in the mix. I'm not sure, but but um, because well, they again, are again AMD could be, and don't forget AMD. There's AMD, there's well. AMD as well. With so maybe that's the other one, AMD. Um, but there's anyway there are there are options. But they at the moment, as you were saying, it is kind of an Intel. It's yeah. kind of an Intel monopoly at the moment for open RAN. And it's seems. a little bit the counterintuitive as you just touched on because the whole reason Intel failed so utterly in mobile is that the, the, the fundamental failings of x86 versus ARM microarchitecture when it comes to energy efficiency. Yeah. So Intel's fine in this Dell, and it's fine in a, in a server farm with loads of cooling. Yeah. What it's not fine is in an incredibly space-confined battery-run thing because it's, it's less efficient. Yeah. Um, you know, and they want to get ahead of the game because I... I would have thought once the ARM ecosystem gets its shit together, it, for that reason, well, that's, that's it, it's a massive now. advantage. Well, I mean, Intel. I, 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 Intel maybe is going to lose out in the long run. I mean, Scott Petty said this from Vodafone when I, I did an article recently about their views on how silicon's developing for Open RAN. And he, he basically said it's not going to be Intel in the future. No. He said it won't be Intel. There's the chips we need for the high-performance stuff, that's not going to come from Intel. That's going to come from customised silicon by people like Marvell and NVIDIA and those guys. Oh, I mean, they've already been dropped um, by Apple, so... Well, they're being, they're being dropped. Oh, well, I mean, that whole thing with Apple and Intel... Um, and was, Intel has, like, they released, like, a, a pretty promising chip, but then you think about what's going to... What Apple's going to do next, and that's going to trump. Well, Apple, Apple has it's got to be credit where it's due. Apple's done an amazing job of being a chip designer. Yeah, uh, let's call them designers rather than manufacturers. Then we don't have to have that semantical squabble. I mean, it says on the tin, it says designed by Apple. Yeah, manufactured in China. Yeah, indeed, <laughs> and that, they say that about the whole project. Yeah, yeah. the whole product. Um, they've done a great job, such that they're so good at it that they now don't even need Intel for Macs. Mm. Yeah, which is you know, uh, he actually mentioned Apple, didn't he, Neil? 
He's, he's a bit of an Apple fanboy. Right. Um, as well as a space fanboy. Yeah, but he but he said it, he actually mentioned Apple as one of the companies that's developing silicon. I mean, it, yeah. it doesn't really have a role in open RAN Apple. You wouldn't I have thought so. I would couldn't you? see it It'd be a weird having one either. But I mean, another one that's developing silicon actually interestingly is AWS. You know, they have their own chips that they're building for their, you know, for, um, for their data do. centers, and, and and that stuff that that Dish seems likely to use these Graviton two processors that I think we've mentioned before. They're ARM based. Processes, pretty much the same sort of thing that people like Marvel are doing, but they would be they would they would they would potentially be used by Dish Network, which is obviously putting all of its yeah. radio access network stuff in in AWS. So I find it amusing the the names that you just said. You know, Marvel, Gra- Gravitron, Graviton, Graviton. Graviton AWS can't Monotron. make something without it sounding dystopian. It, it, it just sounds like Transformers. Gravi- yeah, Graviton well Two. Just, yeah, they might as well just. I, I don't know what the, to Graviton One, but the, the, the T One Thousand or something. Yeah. <laughs> just just get cut straight to the chase. Any the, more of these? The Destructor. Nope. No, there's a there's a punk. There's you want a punk? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Okay. So um, watch out. There's ice in these. One other thing I wanted to say that I don't think um, hmm? he got some ice stuck to the bottom of your tin. Um, it's it'll keep your beer cold. Ah. Now you're just going to make a puddle on the studio floor. It's, it's cold. We got to use the studio cold. on Thursday for Jeff Norcott, mate. Well, there'd be a wet patch for Jeff to <laughs> sit in. I thought it'd be dry by then. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing that Neil certainly didn't explicitly cover, and I don't think came up even that much in the chit chat. It was alluded to once or twice is the other big driver of Open RAN being geopolitics, specifically the US government. Yeah, that wasn't really talked about at all. No, um, and but I think, it, it, I, think, I think one person might have mentioned it. Well, Ray, Ray did ask the question, do you think there's a danger that governments introduce quotas, which I thought was an interesting question. That's probably what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I, I think he sort of said you have to worry a bit, don't you, when governments get involved with this sort of totally. stuff. Totally, and I think it's, it's funny though because operators... You know, they obviously want... I mean, the people who've really got behind Open RAN in a, in a bigger way than BT, the, the, these five the five big operators in Europe uh, that, that are sort of, you know, multi-country yeah. have gone and signed this MOU, haven't they? And they're, they're very... I mean, this is another thing, actually, that came out of the Orange Lab session, is that one of the reasons for this lab is not just to sort of test whether things work together. If they don't, then it makes a bit of a nonsense of the whole specifications process, doesn't it? That's definitely the first thing you want to tick off. Yeah, but it's also, he was saying, an opportunity to try and sort of cultivate a European ecosystem Mm. um, because they're worried that if they don't have that, it'll just be Asian or US supply. And you can imagine the EU would chuck money at anything. Yeah, and therefore they've gone sort of cap in hand to the the EU and said, oh, you need to get behind the European ecosystem. And they're obviously asking for some kind of public sector support Mm. Might not necessarily be funding, but but then then you've got people like Neil saying, acknowledging that sometimes when governments get involved in these things, it's not necessarily a good thing. And I'm I'm always wary of yeah. protectionist moves or efforts to try and fund something when the market hasn't decided that that's where it should necessarily make sense. And yeah, it, so it, it never like, never often works out, does it? it yeah, it's not brute force market manipulation by states. Is is never. But, but clearly, thing. there's a desire to have some of this going on because he, you know, you mentioned that chip example. It's not a good situation for the industry to be reliant on, you mm. know, silicon, you know, silicon fab makers that are. Um, there's only two of them basically well, and, in Asia, yeah. And so, that, that makes you uh, wonder also about Intel, given that we've conceded the point that a there's a competitive bottleneck when it comes to the silicon open round right now in the form of Intel, and b that Intel is not necessarily the optimal supplier of chips given the limitations of x86 yeah it makes you wonder whether it's got into that position because because the americans 
are so keen on it, and it's an American company. It is the only alternative, as you say, the only alternative fab hub outside of TSMC yeah. that, that can really produce things at strategic scale. Oh, hence all this, you know, and they themselves are going to be the company that builds a lot of these fabs that Europe gets, aren't they? You know, but it, Europe's fabs will not be built by a European company. They'll be built by a US one. Indeed. And, and that just sounds a bit odd to me. I mean, I suppose they're, they're worried. That there's got to be some worry. We've talked about this before, about the fact that the biggest fab company that can do stuff on five nanometer or whatever is in Taiwan. Yeah. And that one solution for China to a lot of these issues that Huawei's got, for instance, and its lack of capability is just to go and invade, invade have Taiwan. You, have you read the, this week's Spectator? No, not yet. Um, I haven't read it, but I was, I was watching um, their sort of YouTube summary and they've got some American very senior defence strategist and he's banging on about how they could invade Taiwan any moment. Yeah. You know, you never know why they suddenly go on about this, what, what ulterior motive is going on there. And presumably any time the defence establishment talks about a threat, one, you know, one clear ulterior motive they're going to have is to increase the amount of spending on guns and fighters and, yeah. and all that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and and it, it strikes me, this isn't a telecoms thing, but it strikes me that hyping up China as a threat, and I'm not saying they're wrong to, clearly Xi Jinping's got some funny ideas geopolitically, um, but hyping up China as a threat is actually incredibly strategically advantageous for the US in terms of its allies. Yeah. Because then it gets to do things, like you said, it gets to come in and go, well, then you better help us build some fabs in Europe so that you've got strategic independence I know. from Taiwan. I, I, I could see all this stuff, this Intel massive investment that they're, that they're promising. It's billions, isn't it, that they're pumping into not, not just these European fabs, but these US ones as well. I mean, massive amounts of money in these fabs. There's going to become a situation. I mean, some guy told me this off the record. Who's like a, a, a silicon, not off the record, but on background. Mm-hmm. Um, who's, who's a sort of silicon expert? You, what happens with chips is you get these ups and downs, you know, gluts, and then you know, and in then, terms and, of supply and, and demand. Yeah, and, and at the moment we're in this situation where there's not enough supply yeah. and there's a huge amount of demand, but it, it could very swiftly ch- ch- turn around. You can end up with a lot of fabs that can't sell the stuff that they're building and developing. Yeah, and and, in, and Intel's in a really risky situation here because it's it's already behind the curve anyway, and it's trying to pump all this money into fabs. It's incredibly that might, expensive to that maintain. When, a fab. when things rebalance, I mean, we've come out of this pandemic where it's basically screwed around with. That, that sort of seesaw, hasn't it? The supply-demand you know, yeah. issue. And, and, the, and, and the ripples from that are going to keep going for Yeah, and, it, and it, they could be left with you know, all these investments they've ploughed into these fabs, just, just basically not being able to make a return on it. And, it, and it. and it just ends up looking very bad for them, I think, in a few <laughs> years' time. It's a big risk. You know, this, this guy, what's his name? The new CEO, Gelsinger, is it? Yeah, yeah. Who came in from VMware, I think. But he was previously an Intel guy as well. He was previously an Intel guy. Now he's he's obviously got a vision and a strategy, and he's he's trying to do something on on the, and then believes that it's the right thing for them to do. But I think it's a, a massively risky move. Yeah, it's a roll of the dice. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Pierre's giving me looks that we've banged on about this far too for long about enough an hour. by half. <laughs> Um, so unless you've got anything to sell, else no, I was going to talk about Rakuten's results, but I think we should just move on. Yeah, because, yeah, we, because, we should, yeah. we've only got maximum sort of about 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, right. So we're going to talk. We're going to go back to fiber, but we're going to call it broadband, just so it looks different from last week. Yeah. <laughs> but it's basically fiber. Um, and there've been a few little stories that we're going to sort of stitch together, and we'll see what kind of narrative we come out um, from them. I mean, I think. 
perhaps the biggest one news-wise, and I think you covered this as well, didn't you, is um, Vodafone and City Fibre. I didn't write it myself. Oh, okay. we, we, we did write it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, did you do it? I, I, do you know what? I'm getting so senile. I'm trying to remember whether I wrote it or, or one of Mary and Nick. No, Mary wrote it, so there we are. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so we're both talking about shit we didn't write. That's a good start. Well, you, um, you, you can sort of tell tell everybody what's happened with the Vodafone City okay. type of thing, and then I'll, um, I'll... Yeah, so basically they've got... Vodafone doesn't own... Well, it does, actually. It owns some fixed-line stuff, doesn't it, from... Um, cable and cable wireless. Cable and wireless. Yeah, but not, not sort of last-mile connections to homes and that sort of thing. Right, and yeah. is that what the City Fibre... Yeah, it's a fibre-to-the-premises the fibre to the premises yeah. project. Yeah. And and is it basically use, is it using... So it's more than just like an open-reach wholesale arrangement. It's a strategic partnership where they're both sort of chipping in to the, the building I out of the stuff. that's a good question that I'm not mm. entirely clear. And I think it's the network is owned by um, City Fibre... And, and Vodafone's kind of an anchor tenant. There we go. Yeah, yeah. I think it's that sort of thing. And then they and they made some kind of claim about here. Here it is. Um, the, the Vodafone has, has declared itself. Hold on one sec. Um, quote: Britain's largest full fibre broadband provider. Yeah, very, that's pretty it seems like a weird claim. Well, it makes it sound like they own loads of fibre all of a sudden, which they don't. Mm. They're, they're a retailer in the same way that Sky and TalkTalk Talk are retailers. Um, they can't really claim to be the largest bro- uh, fibre provider because... But what about OpenReach? Well, op- OpenReach is like City Fibre. It owns the I network. suppose you're a broadband provider, but then what about BT uh, then? Well, exactly. Um, there's not a lot of customers on fibre connections at the moment mm. as, a, as a percentage of the overall. I mean, OpenReach's network reached, now covers, I think, about 6 million premises. City Fibre's, I don't know, but I think I think it's about 3 million. Right. Um, Actually, I've got, I've got some of these data points because there, there, right. there was another story where um, Virgin Media O2, VMO2, as I call it, um, came out with an odd press release where it said it's nearly done something. Right. I thought that was quite funny. So my headline was Virgin Media 02 is agonisingly close to doing something significant. Uh, um, and their point was <laughs> that um, uh, that they're near the com- a, a completion of its network up- upgrade. So by the end that's of the year... That's not fibre, though. No, that's gigabit. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But that but that did lead into the fibre thing. So, that, so, yeah. so they're saying that... Um, they are building full fibre as well, by the way, but they don't plan to have their, their yeah. thing done until 2028. Well, exactly. That's what I was leading up to, and that's where there's some data points in this story. So that they've reached 14.3 million homes that are capable of getting gigabit, yeah. which is like over a, a gigabit per Well, that's second. almost their entire footprint. They've only got 15.5 million. Exactly, yeah. Um, look at that, you did it off the top of your head, didn't you have to read it? Go I, know, I know the numbers. You just fucking know them, <laughs> don't you? You just got it nailed. Even when you're knackered and hungover, you're just <laughs> reeling them out like a pro. I think he's been quite on form right now, yeah. He's right, it's amazing what a beer will do. Yeah. yeah, I feel better now, actually. It's like, it's like magic, it's like when Asterix takes some magic potion. <laughs> it's almost like you jump up in the air and click your heels when you have a bit of punk IPA. Um, and, so that uh, was the nearly, was it? Nearly, that was nearly the nearly. The we, we've nearly got our whole footprint up to uh, a gig. Um, and and I was just like, okay, well, well done, but why didn't you just talk about it yeah. when you did it, yeah. rather than when you're ninety percent there? And uh, I think I even had a little cheeky, yeah, we go. So um, 
Yeah, let's just read the paragraph. I said, while it's reasonable to question why anyone would send out a special press release to say that it's 92% of the way to achieving a target they expect to achieve within seven weeks, i.e. by the end of this year, um, it seems to have got plenty of coverage, including here, so fair enough. And then I said, in fact, we suspect the knowledge that telecoms.com usually takes a festive period off was enough to panic its marketing department into trying to get at least some acknowledgement of its imminent Herculean feat from the country's preeminent telecoms trade publication. So, uh, yeah, it was just a weird thing. Anyway, but and then, yeah, the data points at the bottom. So they, as you say, their total footprint is uh, 15.5 million premises. Yeah. And they're expecting to fully fibre that by 28, by 2028, yeah. I yeah. think. And then I said in my concluding paragraph, I said, given that BT slash OpenReach expects to have fibre to the premise to no less than 25 million premises by 2026, you can see why VMO2 is keen to get while the getting's good. In other words, this is one of the reasons they're bigging themselves up. Now, they're basically trying to say, in my final sentence, I said, if it can spend the intervening time establishing a reputation as the country's fastest ISP, and I believe it can claim that right now, yeah. a gigabit connection is better than anything you get from yeah, yeah. BT. Well, well non-fiber. I, I, that's non-fiber. But they, yeah, they yeah. Did, as I say, six million premises now that BT passes. But there's only about, I think it's less than one and a half million customers that's wholesale and retail, by the mm. way, that are using those fibre connections. Right. Um, and I, now I don't know what it would be on the City Fibre network. I mean, mm. who, who resells? Because City Fibre is not a retailer in itself. So yeah. it would be companies like Vodafone, for instance, um, the anchor tenant. But I don't, again, I don't know how many fibre connections Vodafone's got. But I tell you what, this, this we're the biggest fibre provider, I find very odd. Yeah. You know? I don't really know what that claim. comes from. Yeah. I mean, I think what they're saying is because they have an agreement with City Fibre, and they also have an agreement with OpenReach. That's probably what it is. That they have access to more fibre properties. But in terms of customers, they're going so to they be have a, near they have a the bigger top. addressable market. Did you know who has Vodafone broadband? I, well, I don't, and, and, and I've not even seen it marketed, actually. No. So, I'm, again, it's a, it's a good thing to dig into with them at some point, but, maybe, but, if you can... I mean, traditionally, I seem to remember when they bought um, cable and wireless stuff, Yeah. theirs, theirs was going to be a mainly a B2B proposition, wasn't it? Well, like, that's, that is B2B cable and wireless. I think that's yeah. an enterprise thing, really. That's so, nothing well, to do, with, that's nothing to do with the residential. So, yeah. so Vodafone may well be strong on B2B. I don't know. But it's certainly not a consumer problem. No, I mean, this is all consumer, what we're talking about here, yeah. this, this, this fibre rollout. And, and that's where the thing is, isn't it? I mean, everybody works at home these days anyway. That's true. And, 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 and that's where all the money is to, to, to sort of, you know, connect, connect properties. And that's where the capex is going and... It's not about doing doing big office blocks. They've already got the fibre connections, I would think. That sort of job's largely done in... in Do you think we've got one here to the Bluefin building? so, yeah. Um, but Shall I do a speed you, test? You have your sort of, what I'm getting? But I, I just don't know the... Um, yeah, I don't know, the, I don't know the, the rationale for them making that claim. And I can only think that it's because they, they think they've got access to a bigger, you know, fibre footprint through these two, de- through these two deals they've got. Um I mean, the, the interesting thing for me is there's a lot of waste here, isn't there, Scott? You know, yeah. Because I, sorry, I just got confused. I went to speed test, and it says I'm on Manx Telecom. <laughs> I just brilliant. Like, what the fuck's going yeah. on here? Sorry, what were you saying? I, I am paying but attention. But there's a lot of waste going on, isn't there? There's a lot of... I mean, Duplication. Yeah, overlap. I mean, the industry likes to call it overbuild, don't they? But it, it's basically overlap. You know, you've got where Pierre and I live in southwest London. There's a company called G-Network, 
that is very much focused on a London. Week seldom goes by without you two bitching about them digging up the streets. No, they've, they've dug up the whole it's, of. It's really annoying. Like, it, they've dug up the whole of. Um, I mean, they've been there for a while. Is that this is the this is a funny thing? I remember going and seeing City Fiber doing a rollout in Milton Keynes, and they were going on about micro trenching, where they only have to dig a tiny little bit of the pavement up, and yeah. they lay the light, and they're really quick. They they come and, and they do it just like a couple of inches, yeah, and then they're off. Yeah, this one is like. I mean. 20 inches. If you look at Garrett Lane, which is the main street running through Wandsworth, the whole road's basically gone on one up. side. And it's been there for days. It's not it's not moved. It's just I this mean, area. No, no. And wait, wait, wait. The cut is not the whole road, but they take up the whole they road. They take up the whole lane and the cut's the, pretty wide as well. It's equipment. not just a micro trench. I mean it's yeah, well, the maybe trench, you can't do the micro trench stuff there on that on that particular street. Yeah. I don't know. But but it's it's a big you can see why it's so costly for companies to dig five but looking at what's going on there yeah. they're 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 spending i looked i looked up the details um they don't have a press department that i could find but they they publish in about just, a section g, g network so they yeah g whether we'll hit the g spot i don't know but they're, <laughs> they're spending a billion on 1.4 million premises in london okay you got City Fibre doing eight million by twenty twenty six or twenty twenty five. So billion one point four million premises is is going to be like about what eight hundred quid a seven. Well, this this is another this is pop. another issue yeah. uh, is the cost per home pass because this is yeah. an area where BT's been sort of saying they've got a big commercial advantage because they can do it more cheaply than anyone else because they've got the ducts and the poles and well I think the scale as well they've driven down they used to say it cost them three hundred to three hundred and fifty quid to cover one premise to pass a premise. And they're now saying they can do it for 250 to 300. It's quite a big right. reduction. Well, that's certainly a lot less and, than G networks. Well, I asked City Fiber what their figure is, and they weren't prepared to say. But they, they, they I mean, there's, there is a suggestion that passing a passing a residential property can mean lots of different things, you know. And and you, the distance you pass that property from, yeah, is different for different providers, basically. And if you pass a long way from the property. You can still claim you've passed it, but to actually install, the final installation costs you more. Right. So a lot of these figures that are getting thrown out about cost per home passed, they don't, they're not the full costs, basically. There's more costs to actually connect someone up and put mm. them onto the, onto the service. So, so that's back to that sort of uh, Vodafone claim. There's a lot of marketing dicking about. There's a lot about. of marketing dicking about. And, yeah. and the other thing is, I mean, just coming back to this homes passed thing of, of all of them, you've got... So, so you've got G Network doing 1.4 million in London. There's another there's another London company I think called Community Fiber. I don't know what their targets are. You've got City Fiber doing 8 million by 2025, 2026. Virgin Media targeting 15.5 million I think by 2028. That's right. Um, and and um, uh, BT OpenReach targeting 25 million by 2026. Mm. There's only 28, 29 million premises, premises, households in the UK. <laughs> so there's a lot of overlap, yeah. And about five million yeah. of those are going to be rural ones that no one could be asked with. Yeah, that they're exactly. Going to have to use. Th- well, that's going to be public sector. Some of it, I think. Right. That's or, that's uh, where yeah, the public sector And then we're going to be looking at things like um, uh, a fixed wireless and yeah. all that sort of thing. So a lot of these, a lot of the, the what, what you're going to end up with is some homes being passed by a couple of providers, basically. Yeah? yeah. Or even, I don't know, it might even be three. I don't know. There might even be that much overbuilt. But you're going to have options for... We, now, in a way, that's really good because you've got infrastructure. It's good for the consumer. You've got infrastructure competition, based mm. competition, which well, is... good for us. Which is yeah, the yeah, ideal thing. Totally. But it also means that some of these networks aren't going to get used unless someone changes service provider. They're just going to lie there dormant, you know, and, and, they've been, and it's cost a lot, of comp- a lot of money to build that out. 
And the, to me, it just seems that the company that has the most to lose here is is OpenReach. I mean, they're, they're on their earnings call last week, they were very much on about, was it the week before, the recent one anyway, they were very much banging the drum about we're going to win, we're going to win the race. Yep, you know, you, we're going to win the match or whatever. They put it in football terms. You wrote a piece terms, about that in your Monday. But we don't know the final score, which I think was his way of saying... They, they're confident that they'll come out with most market share. It might be a Pyrrhic victory. But it, but it, well, yeah, because at the moment, if you look at them, they're the only they're the only real wholesale option apart from. All right, I, mean, I don't know if does does Virgin Media do a wholesale service? I don't know. Think. I mean, City Fibre is a wholesale provider, yeah. yeah. But the the whole thing about this surge of infrastructure based competition in the market with companies like G Network and you know, whether it's retail or wholesale, you've got a lot more infrastructure going into the ground. Whereas if you go back to the old days of ADSL and part fibre networks, FTTC and all this stuff, OpenReach was really your only option. Mm. And if you look at their numbers, they they have 28, OpenReach has 28 million, I think, or 20, nearly 29 million broadband, connect, the homes passed with broadband networks, 21 million connections. If it can't transfer, you know, all of those to fiber, yeah, yeah, to full. Fi- Let's say the whole market is eventually going to become full fiber, well, apart from apart yeah. from in in rural and like really hard to serve places. If it can't transfer those twenty one million onto full onto its own full fiber connections, it's going to lose out, isn't it? Because yeah, it, it, even if it even if its market share goes down a bit, it's still kind of a loss for BT. It's still kind of less money from sales. Yeah. And therefore, it's all very well saying we are going to win the race. But I just, if I was a BT investor, I'd be thinking, well, and this is why they're making such a big deal about costs, I think, at the moment. You know, we're, they've got this massive cost-saving program. They're, they're mm. very optimistic about cash flow targets over the next few years. But the sales side of it, I just can't see there being much of an upside for them at all from broadband yeah, so the, the maths, at the moment. The, you're struggling to make the maths work. And, and I, I take your point. Um, I mean, it's great for us. It's only if people spend more on their connections, isn't it? But we've we've seen, we talk about this with 5G, people don't pay that much more for high-speed connections and competition drives the prices down anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think it's slightly different with fixed because you have a more tiered system Yeah. for speed, for performance. Yeah. Whereas you don't, I mean, I suppose you can get a, a 5G phone, but you don't get a sort of 10... Megabits well, per so okay, so contract or maybe they lose maybe they lose market share because there's more infrastructure based competition now. But they get their they get the customers they do when they get to spend a bit more. I'm still not optimistic that they can grow no, revenue. And I think you're right. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't totally, I don't largely disagree with your analogy because where it where it does where it is comparable to like 4G, 5G, that sort of thing, is higher performance becomes normal. Yeah. So if someone would have paid a premium for 100 megabits per second 10 years ago, now they expect it to be normal. Yeah. And if they pay a premium for a gig now, they expect it to be normal in five years or less. Yeah, but there's nothing. the thing is, there's nothing BT can do. And this is why, you know, for years under under um, David Hasselhoff, yeah. uh, or Gavin Patterson, Patterson, his real name is, they were, they were sort of obsessed with TV and Gavin sports. Gavin the ledge Patterson. And they were perceived to have sort of neglected the network side of things. And Philip, Philip Jan, is it, is it pronounced Janssen or Jansen? Or? I don't know. Don't care. It's foreign, isn't it? F- it is, that is his name, isn't it? I haven't got the CEO's no, name I wrong think it's completely, right. have I? I, b- I bet it's Jansen. I just had a brain to, fart where I thought... But I to English spelling, it's Jansen. It's a well, J. Philip Jansen has come in and um, and he's basically refocused it on on networks and, and, and infrastructure, hasn't he? If they hadn't done that, I mean, this is why they're so desperate to build out this network as quickly as they can and try and lock in people to, to pricing, lock in retailers to pricing deals. Because if they don't, 
they're kind of screwed, yeah? Mm. You know, they, they've gone from a position where they were the only real big national wholesale option for, um, you know, for services to one where there's, okay, there's not another big national provider with BT scale, but there are lots of local options that could take, that could nip and nip at it here and there and take away market share. They're going to lose something, you know, in a market where there's more infrastructure-based competition where it didn't yeah. exist previously, they're going to lose their broadband market share. And yeah. therefore, unless they can get the customers they do win, whether wholesale or retail, to pay, just pay a lot more, I just don't see an optimistic thing for yeah, them from I, sales. I, I can't disagree with you. And I, mean, and, and I don't and think to, that... To some extent, that applies to everyone involved. Well, I mean, yeah, well, it doesn't, though, because the new providers like G Network, it, it doesn't. it's coming from a position of zero. Yeah, but it's still shelled out a lot of money, and it's still looking for ROI. It's still looking for ROI, but but if they've done those sums and thought, we can pick up this amount of market share, you would assume the investors mm. have gone, we're going into a competitive market, this is what we're going to aim for. You would assume it, but all I'm saying is, I, I, I don't think we disagree with you, but all I'm saying is that, you know, people like, what is it, Goldman Sachs has chucked money at City Fiber. Yeah. They've all done the mass, they're all very clever people. Yeah. But they're all in a similar position of jeopardy where their ROI calculations with every, you know, with, with, the, with the increasing competition, all that sort of thing, their ROI calculations might be a bit optimistic. They might all. be, but, but the, the only thing I'd say about the new builders is that they don't have a business to, to existing business. Yeah. So anything's new sales for them. Their revenues can only go that way. Right, so in terms of like the, you the know, spreadsheet. Now, yeah, if the costs are going yeah. above, above where the sales are, they're in big trouble. But their revenues are going to go up because they're coming for... G Network at the moment has... It's just starting off, really, isn't it? Mm. Um, so, Looks like whereas BT, BT's right at the top. You can't get any more customers, basically. They do. They pretty much do everybody. 21 million, 21 million broadband connections on one technology or another in a market of 28 or 29 million premises. Mm. You, you, there's only one way for them to go. Uh, good point. Good point. Can't argue that. Okay. We'd better move that one along unless you've got anything else to say because uh, no, running out of time. long enough, I think. I think Pierre's got a lot of meeting, he said. That sounds very grown up. Um, so the last segment I want to talk about, um, I don't think you covered this, so I'll just I'll just sort of summarise it and you can tell me what you reckon. It's about Google and legal stuff. So my headline was, Google has a mixed day in European courts. And this is me just cramming together two distinct stories into one because, you know, that's what us hacks do sometimes. Um, and... Uh, and so my, my first par- short paragraph was, US internet giant Google has defended a class action suit in the UK, but still has to hand over billions to the EU. So the class action suit in the UK was probably the more intriguing one, because it's the newer case. Basically, some apparently Google threw Android. No, no, Google threw Safari on iPhones. Um, was getting, was harvesting sort of personal data. Um, through people presumably doing Google searches on Safari on iPhones in the UK about 10 years ago. And this one bloke went, well, that's a bit out of order, isn't it? Um, and, uh, <coughs> and decided to sue them. But he decided to sue them as a class action suit. Now, a class action suit is when one person sues on behalf of a whole group of people. And his perfectly reasonable rationale was like, if it happened to me, it happened to everyone else who was using Google on iPhones around yeah. that time. But, um, and then it finally, and then a judge, uh, however long ago, uh, initially went, nah, that's bollocks, we're not having that. That's how judges talk these days. They're all all from the hood. Um, And uh, and one of the reasons he turned it down is is that um, you can't have a class action suit because you can't prove that everyone else in the class action suffered 
some kind of harm. You know, the whole point of law, basically, is where there's a blame, there's a claim, isn't it? Yeah. It's all about establishing harm and, and culpability. And it's like, they may have rinsed some people's data, but how did they cause them harm? So this comes into the much more abstract concept of data, who owns it, whether it causes you harm. You know, if I, if I happen to share some data about you, you know, I happen to know that, you know, your, your, your music tastes run to some sort of weird 70s folk shit or something like that. You know, have I caused you any harm by sharing that information? Yeah. Um, you know, nothing's been taken away from you. You haven't been physically injured. You haven't lost any money. But it is still your data. It's still Ian's sort of... But isn't everybody doing this nowadays, using people's data? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's something that needs to... Court cases like this need to try this stuff out because no one... You know, this is the whole this is thing about... This is GDPR, isn't it? GDPR. And, and the whole thing about things like social media, the whole thing about if, you know, if you're not paying, then you're the product Yeah, sort of thing. Do you think GDPR is very effective? Because all GDPR is, from my perspective, is that when you go to a website, especially if you've cleared your cookies or browser history or something, you get tons of allow yeah. this, allow that, or if it's a new site that you've never it's been to It's just tedious, before. isn't it? And, and they keep And there's some American well. sites, like local news sites, where you can't go on it at all, because they've just gone, GDPR, it's not worth the fucking hassle. Right. We're just not going to let Europeans on the site at all. Yeah. Because we don't need the ag, is their apparent rationale. Um, and so, anyway, so... The, so this bloke did this class action suit, and the first judge went, nah, you can't prove that every single person um, in this class action suffered damage, so nah, see you later. And then the appeals court, inevitably they appeal, and then the appeals court went, nah, that first judge was talking shit, this is all right, you can go ahead. Yeah. And so then round three, the decider was, um, was at a Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court basically backed up the original judge and told the appeals court it was out of order. <laughs> um, and and look, here's um, here's some stuff that I sort of copied and pasted from the ruling. So the the judge, i.e., the original judge. So this is for, this is from the Supreme Court thing, but they're referring to the original one. The judge took the view that even if the legal foundation for the claim made in this action were sound, which is an important thing because they're not saying that the legal action isn't sound. They're, they're not saying they're not ruling out the fact that Google shouldn't have done what it did. But even if, if, even if the legal foundation made in this action was sound, he should exercise the discretion conferred by CPR or whatever, blah, 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 19.6 brackets 2, by refusing to allow the claim to be continued as a representative action, i.e. a class action. All this legalese, you have to sort of... Yeah. You have to try and work out what the fuck they're going on about. Um, he characterised the claim as, as, quote, officious litigation... This is the original judge. Characterised the claim as, quote, officious litigation embarked on on behalf of individuals who have not authorised it, which I think is a really important characterization of a class action suit. Yeah. I mean, it could have been you or Pierre. You guys have been using iPhones forever. You could have been part of the class action, but you didn't know, did you? Yeah, no. And we also no, don't no know whether... Yeah, we also don't know whether you would have got any cash out of it if they'd won. Yeah. So you're just being... Talk about data protection and data privacy. You're actually kind of being exploited By against him. your will there. So it's a bit paradoxical, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, he, should have, he should have looked into this before he launched his class action suit. Well, there we go. <laughs> you need to give it more, more sort of thoughts <laughs> up. Um, and it goes, in which the main beneficiaries of any award of damages would be the funders and the lawyers. So it's interesting, a judge coming out of this and basically implying that the, the lawyers are being opportunistic leeches, yeah. which, of course, they generally are. Um, and then the second paragraph of what I extracted was, he thought the representative claimant 
quote, should not be permitted to consume substantial resources in the pursuit of litigation on behalf of others who have little to gain from it and have not authorised the pursuit of the claim, nor indicated any concern about the matters to be litigated. So what they're really saying, they're not really commenting on the claim itself, they're commenting on the nature of sort of presumptive class action suits, which I think is, it's not very telecoms either, I'm afraid, yeah. but we needed to find a third segment. <laughs> it is tech. Um, but it is tech, and, it, and, it, and sometimes this legal stuff, although it's very arcane, um, you know, it is quite interesting, and it sets precedents. So, so basically, Google won that one, and you know, my, my concluding thoughts on that particular one is, on one level, I'm no fan of opportunistic lawyers claiming to represent a class action when all they really want is a payday. Yeah. However, you know, in some of the stuff which I won't read out, they did go. That doesn't mean there isn't a case to answer. Yeah. And then you think if you're going to go, if you're going to be Dave Smith, going up against Google, how are you going to get lawyers interested unless you make it a class action suit that they might be able to coin it on? Yeah. You're not going to get some pro bono um, just just for yourself. And the judge basically inferred that if the bloke had just done it on behalf of himself or on the class action, he might have won. But how could he have done it on it? So how would he have funded it? How can you find the money to go up against Google legally? Yeah. So you have to find these little, in this case, counterproductive routes. But if he had won, it would have it would have set a, um, an awkward precedent, I think, for a lot of these companies, because that's pretty much how they function, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would have set a massively awkward precedent. But oh, my it, point is, how could he have funded it unless he was yeah. like a billionaire himself? Yeah. Because this is the point, and... You know, it comes to the second part of this story. Google can throw almost limitless yeah. legal resources at it, and, and it's a flaw. It's a it's a necessary flaw, but it's a flaw in the legal system that it's conducted by lawyers who are expensive. Yeah, and you can get, you know, law should be equal to everyone. You know, a, a tramp should be entitled to exactly the same legal um, representation and rights as a zillionaire. Yeah, but in practice you've got to pay lawyers to navigate the legal system, which is fucking arcane and Byzantine. Um, and so it's basically, in summaries, it's really hard to win litigation against a massive company like Google. Yeah. So I, I sort of applaud the judge, but I, I would like the judge to have acknowledged that the way the legal system is set up kind of forced them to go for this class action route because it's just not economically viable for them to do anything else. Yeah. And then, and then the second thing was a European one, and this was this was an appeal. Um, they this was back in. Um, let me just I linked to my own story on it. Back in June 2017, um, the European Union fined Google 2.42 billion euros, and this was for a case in which. Um, That's uh, quite a hefty fine. It's a, it's a good old fine. It's a good old chunk yeah. of cash. Normally these fines are pathetic, the ones yeah, that yeah. regulators... No, I'll, I'll say this for Europe. As someone who, who's yeah. known for bashing Europe, the, the good thing about a massive bureaucracy and a sort of super tanker bureaucracy like EU is when it does get pointed in the right direction, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. I mean, you can't fuck with the EU, even if you're Microsoft or, or... Yeah, well, it goes into, it goes into massive lunches for, <laughs> for people with aristocratic French surnames. It goes into beautiful <laughs> roads. <laughs> yeah. Goes, so, but Google basically funds construction of lovely pavements for for Paris. Yeah, and 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 just because it's been overpriced and... Bordeaux with your lunch. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, so so there's that fine. But that was so that's 2017. That was like I don't know what we talked. We're talking like four and a half years ago now. 
Because the Americans love doing this, don't they? The the, the fines that they levied on uh, ZTE and, and Ericsson as well, even, you know, for corruption. What was it, a billion? Yeah. What is that money? What happens to that money? Is that lunches uh, for Washington? Well, so th- this was actually the headline I wrote back in, in June 2017. I wrote, Europe shakes down Google to the tune of 2.42 billion for search bias. And yeah. it does feel like a shakedown. It doesn't mean they're wrong, but I completely agree with you. These fines... You know, it's not like they go, all right, everyone, we got two and a half bill off Google. Everyone come around, we'll give you all a fiver, go out and get pissed. It doesn't work that way, does it? It just goes into the pot. There should be some some rules about what happens to these fines and where the money goes. I agree. I completely agree. And there isn't. And, 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 and then and when they build a new road, they can put a plaque. This was funded by Google's <laughs> funded by, funded by Google's behaviour. Funded by Google's piss-taking. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but the thing they did them for, which seemed fair enough, assuming the evidence uh, uh, was, was um, correct, is that um, Google's got its own like, shopping function. So if you just put into Google, you know, I want to buy a, I want to buy a stereo... We don't buy stereos anymore, do I? Show my age. A frying pan. Stereo. A frying pan. <laughs> a frying pan, there we are. God, my first stereo, I actually went down Tottenham Court yeah. Road when that was when you get stereos. Like you, separate. Didn't say, you didn't say ghetto uh, blaster. Yeah, that would, that would have dated it. I got little components. I even got one component was just a gra- graphic equaliser. Yeah. I just to fuck around with it, not really knowing what I was doing. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, so let's say frying pan, let's simplify it. And you, and you go and search for a frying pan and then you'll get some stuff come up on Amazon, some stuff come up on price comparison sites, but then you'll get some shopping options from Google itself. And you can go through the Google channel and buy that frying pan from Tfal or whatever. Um, and they found that Google was biasing in search results its own shit over everyone else's, which is obviously a, a quintessential example of someone with a near monopoly, which Google does have in search, abusing that near monopoly. Yeah. So that was fair enough. Assuming the evidence was, was in their favour, I was completely fair enough. But then four and a half years later, we get the appeal. So Google hasn't paid it in four and a half years. He's probably chucked about two and a half billion of lawyers yeah. at the whole thing. <coughs> and, then, and then the EU, and the EU, which, as we know, is not exactly nippy, um, finally got round to going... No, you still pay. Um, and that was it. So in, in the, this is the European General Court just went, no, you still got to shell out. And then we don't know whether Google... I mean, Google can... Apparently, Google can appeal that. Oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it just drags on for decades, these things. It's like this extradition stuff, you know, that these cases can last for, for, for seven years, apparently, eight yeah. years sometimes. Um, I didn't in the case of Huawei CFO obviously got brought to a resolution but yeah. the whole thing's just daft the legal process well, how exactly. slow it is and that's the ultimate point and I'm going to wrap it up because yeah. Pierre's petulantly prodding his wristwatch um, <laughs> is, is again this is another proof of how difficult it is to bring massive companies to to heal because they've got the funds to let's, let's be kind and just say make efficient use of the legal system yeah in a way that few other people can right better end it there then thanks a lot well done for perking up um that's that's two thursdays in a row i've managed to come in after having a large one that's a fucking i'm, I'm definitely planning on doing a dry january so Me too. those pods could be a bit boring yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay well we'll wrap up there thanks a lot for listening make sure you join us for the next one cool